Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek all new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. I want to thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these objects in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you do enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can go to www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast even has its own Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear and you don't want to miss another episode, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 103 with Mars Coordinator for the ALPO. Hope you enjoy it. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have with us today Roger Venable, the coordinator of the Mars section for the ALPO. Welcome to the podcast, Roger. Thank you very much. My delight to be here. Great. Now, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get into the topic? All right. Well, uh, I started observing... uh, uh, Mars, as well as the rest of the sky, with a 60 millimeter refractor when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. My brother soon bought a four inch uh, Criterion, uh, I think they call it a dinoscope. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, at, like F10 uh, Newtonian with no clock drive, and we observed Mars and so on. Um, I remember I uh, first uh, saw albedo features on Mars through that scope, saw all the Messier objects and so on. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in my 70s, so I've been <laughs> observing for quite a few years. Um, I am a retired physician, okay. and uh, I just retired a couple months ago. Oh, and congratulations. So I, I guess now you can say I'm a full-time astronomer. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, so uh, being a full-time physician, were you involved with the COVID thing that's currently going on? or Every day. Ugh. Yeah, every day. I didn't get sick. Protected Good. myself well. Good. I tell people wear a mask and wash your hands and 
uh, cover your coughs and almost everything else doesn't matter. <laughs> that, that's true. It's, it's not that difficult. You know? It's really yeah. not. Right. Uh, well, good, good. I'm glad you're healthy and everything's going well for you now that you're retired. What type yeah. of observing equipment do you currently have? Well, um, right now I don't have a, a really good telescope for observing the planets. And so I, I haven't been observing Mars this year. Oh. But I have, if you count them all, I suppose I have about 14 telescopes. I oh use my. most of them for occultations that I do. Okay. Um, for example, uh, uh, last night I recorded an occultation by the Plutino called Ixion, and uh, it that's a, shares the or, some of the orbital characteristics of the planet Pluto with a three to two resonance with Neptune, and uh, so it passed in front of a star, and I recorded that, and uh, the star blinked out when this object went in front of it, and it's going to help measure the location and the diameter of that object. So that's that's the that's what I do for fun. Oh wow! And, now uh, do you use a video type yeah, system yes. to do that? Okay, yeah. Ac- with accurate timing of the video, more, oh, that's, more that's accurate than your computer can do. I, we use what we call a video time inserter, which gives a, a GPS uh, t- time inserted into every video frame, and that has an accuracy of. Uh, Less than a millisecond. Uh, I should say greater accuracy than a millisecond. Error of less than a millisecond. So that's through the International Occultation Timing Association, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, so you're pretty involved with them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, I guess I've done a bit of things with them over the years. Um, I am currently their vice president. Oh. So I'm. I'm really. You are active with that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, occultations are fun. Because it, I mean, to to the to, to the novice, I mean, the only motion we see, where the not even the amateurs, the only motion we see is the the sun and the moon and the stars passing through the sky. You don't yeah. see their interaction with each other. It can really be exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, oh when, yeah. When you when you get a hit and you're watching with your telescope and that scar, star just blinks out. That's you exciting. might see a, f- a faint asteroid. You just your heart starts to beat about you know two hundred a minute. You say, "Wow, I can't believe that!" You know, and then yeah. the, then the star shows up again in a few minutes. You know, uh, I remember the first time I saw a Galilean eclipse. You know, uh-huh. just uh, uh, the the moon of uh, one of the moons of Jupiter disappears before it gets to the planet because the shadow is going out that direction. And yeah, those yeah. things are just amazing to see, and it just gives you a feeling that the universe is pretty cool. There's a lot of yeah. things going on yeah. out there that, that if you just look, you'll see. Well, you know, for, for people who are experienced in observing Mars and have uh, telescopes of 8-inch diameter or larger, they have a good opportunity this year to spy Deimos, the moon of Mars. Okay. Phobos is, is harder, and um, I didn't put uh, directions for finding Phobos in the uh, article in the JALPO, but the... Uh, but Deimos, I gave uh, enough of a, an ephemeris to help people find it. You just have to sort of know where, where to look, and it describes how to find it in that article uh, that was in the JALPO in the spring. Um, but I, I, Di, uh, Deimos is uh, seen with an 8-inch or larger telescope. And, okay. Um, but that's, that's something that people can look for. Okay. Well, before we get into it, let, let, why don't you just give everybody a little um, – overview of what the Mars section is, how it operates, and things like that? Well, we, we don't operate much. We just share experiences <laughs> mostly and, uh, you know, uh, some visual observers. But nowadays, most people are doing imaging, 
we still have some quite active, about four right now, visual observers observing act very actively this, uh, this apparition so far. Um, and we've also had about 35 imaging observers who are very active. And uh, right now they're very active because you have to be pretty de uh, dedicated to uh, get up in the middle of the night or mm -hmm. before dawn and, and look at Mars. Mars has been in the morning sky um, opposition when it's directly opposite the sun will occur about October 14th. And after that, it'll be in the evening sky. But uh, the point is it hasn't been convenient to observe Mars so far this year. So the number of observers we have is, is not so great as it will be uh, in a few months when Mars is more conveniently placed. Yeah. I've seen uh, some recent observations or, or images like from Damien Peach and I'm blown away how awesome it looks right now. Yeah. His, yeah, Mars is awesome already. It's already about 17 arc seconds in diameter, which is larger than it ever gets in some apparitions. That is, mm -hmm. some years when it's well-placed for observation at opposition, it'll only be 14 or 13 arc seconds in diameter. This this year, it's not yet at opposition. It's a few months away, and it's already at 17 arc seconds. So it, you, you can see detail on Mars, a lot of it. And, uh, you know, I tell people to uh, take take time to focus, be really fussy about focusing, and then stare at it for a long time because the longer you look, the more detail you'll see. Your eye sort of becomes accustomed to seeing fine detail when you really s strive to see it for a while. And a few minutes of observation, you'll see more and more. Uh, but Mars is, is going to be good this year for, for both visual and imaging observers. That, that, that's really good advice also because you have the atmosphere you know, the, the scene conditions where the image seems to boil a little bit, but then you'll have moments of clarity where everything stops. Right. And, right. and, and you know, if you just live in an area that has bad seeing, I'm not sure what to do about it. No. Um, but, uh, I mean, if you're downwind from the Rockies, like in eastern Colorado or mm. something, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to have good seeing. But I'll tell you, on top of the mountains in Colorado, you'll have good seeing. There you go. I, I spent... Uh, couple of weeks uh, in, in 2015, tooling around the American Southwest, just driving to places, some of them at high al altitude, some at low altitude, but areas that weren't downwind from mountain ranges and so on. And I looked around uh, to see what had the best seeing out there. And without a doubt, the best seeing was at high elevation. Mm. But even there, I didn't have the quality of seeing that we get in the southeastern U.S., Southeastern U.S. has very good seeing, and, and if you want to, um, you know, if, if you're south of the uh, Appalachians um, and on the coastal plain, and uh, most of Florida has, has very good seeing. Now, where, so, where are you located? I'm in, in the middle of Georgia. Okay. All right. South of, south of Macon, Georgia. Okay. All right. So what type of equipment do you suggest people using for the Mars section? Well, uh, you know, for, everybody wonders how big a telescope they need. Mm -hmm. And what you learn in astronomy is the bigger, the better. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's sort of like, what can I afford? You know, that's right. the question that comes to mind. And you start out, you're usually a kid. A lot of us started out in childhood, you know, and we got a department store telescope. The 60 millimeter. Yeah. Just like you mentioned. A, yep. It's a great way to start. You see all these craters on the moon and, and some mm -hmm. albedo features on Mars and, you know, uh, with a 60 millimeter, you may or may not be able to see the the uh, two 
uh, darkest bands on Jupiter, but mm -hmm. you'll see the moons well and so on. Um, but that's a good way to start out, you know. But for people who are more experienced in astronomy, sooner or later they want a more capable instrument. And uh, a common thing to step up to is an 8-inch telescope. It can be a Newtonian or a, or a Schmidt-Cassegrain. Um, other types of telescopes tend to be more expensive. I mean, there, there are Moxitovs and, you know, Richie Chrétiens and all mm -hmm. that. You don't need any of that. I mean, a, a telescope that's a Schmidt-Cassegrain or a Newtonian reflector would be fine. Um, refractors, of course, are much more expensive. Re there are refractor enthusiasts who mm -hmm. swear by them and I suppose wouldn't have any other type of telescope. And I don't mean to argue with them. They Refractors are fine. It's just that, you know, if you want to get more of a bang for your buck with a telescope, you go with a Schmidt-Cassegrain or a Newtonian. Uh, one thing when observing the planets is that I recommend a clock drive. Um, the problem with, a, with uh, the planets is you have to observe at high magnification to see much. And if you don't have a clock drive, the thing moves out of your field of view very quickly and you spend right. all your time repositioning it in the field of view. So you want to have a clock drive and a reasonably good polar alignment so you can follow the planet as the Earth turns and makes the planet appear to move across the sky. Okay. All right. Um, what? How many active observers? Now, you mentioned you get, you're right now receiving, I think you said, four visual observations and then a number of 30 or so that are doing images. Yeah, I expect that number to increase more than double. Um, I remember one apparition, uh, we had 151 participants. Oh, wow. Um, so the, the point is we, we expect to have a whole lot more observers. Some, Most of them post their images and their drawings um, either on the Alpo website or Groups.io. There's a, a Japanese organization that has nothing to do with the Alpo, but mm -hmm. it's called Alpo Japan. Right. They, they named it after us. They have a good website and mm -hmm. post a lot of images there as well. So there are other places to post them. Some people just keep them on their Facebook page. Right. So, right, right. But, but if they just send them to us, that's that's a fine thing to do. And any description or drawing or, or image would be fine. And when you mentioned visual observations, you're talking about drawings, right? Well, yeah, drawings, or okay. some people just make descriptions. Oh, okay. Once you, once you become familiar with Mars and, and know what you're looking at, what what features you're looking at, you kind of, they're old friends. It's kind of like looking at the moon. You say, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that crater, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you, can, you can tell by looking at them whether there's any changes. So, it's, you know, a visual observation is useful. Okay. One thing that's uh, interesting so far is that every uh, every observation, this apparition so far, has had a phase effect on Mars. That is, Mars doesn't appear round; it appears oval, and that's because the angle from the Sun to Mars to the Earth is such that Mars is not fully illuminated. Okay. But in the next couple of months, as Mars moves into opposition, it's going to start appearing round again, True. and uh, it'll look like a round planet. And then after that, in a few months later, it'll look oval again because of the phase effect. You know, it's just not fully illuminated due to the angle uh, that Mars uh, makes with the Earth and Sun. Right. For those new listeners, opposition is when the Sun is directly uh, 180 degrees from from the planet you're looking at, which is what which would be Mars. So as as the Sun sets, Mars is rising. So at that point, 
it, the disc would be round. That's what we're trying to explain yeah. here. Okay. Sure. Now, what what did we see in the last apparition of Mars? I'm, I'm sure you had a chance to go through that data. Uh, papers have been written and things. What did we see that was really interesting or different? One of the, uh, uh, the, what the, you might say the main thing that happened in the last apparition about two years ago mm -hmm. was a, a planet encircling dust storm. And this covered the entire planet such that you couldn't see anything on mm -hmm. the surface of Mars. And uh, it just looked like one orange ball and couldn't see any of the dark features. The polar caps were uh, mostly obscured, perhaps not completely, but hard to see. And uh, this happens usually uh, in late spring to early summer in Mars. That is, the, we're talking Martian seasons here. Okay. And we're talking about the southern hemisphere of Mars in, in late spring and early summer. Now, right now, we're in late spring in Mars, and we've been seeing some dust storms on Mars. Uh, one of them was pretty large. We've had a number of dust storms in a lot of places familiar to us, uh, uh, Erythrium and Hellas and uh, Chrysi and so on. But we had a, a fairly good-sized uh, regional dust storm in, in June, which obscured uh, Ausonia and Tyrrhenium Mari and Cimmerium Mari and Cyrenum Mari and uh, has since dissipated, but it's left the whole planet slightly hazy. Oh, So observers right now are commenting that the, the planet just doesn't seem to have as much contrast in its albedo features as it usually does. So this, that's one of the things that we're seeing now. Okay. One of the interesting things about the south polar cap is that as it recedes through the southern spring on Mars, um, you see... Uh, uh, ice areas that appear to be breaking off from the polar cap. What's happening is the cap is shrinking, but it leaves behind pockets of ice that you can see uh, distinct from the polar cap. And uh, we saw that in, in the last apparition as well as the present one. Uh, no, Novus Mons is the also known as the Mountains of Mitchell, hmm. uh, named after the person who first described it, um, was... Uh, seen in, in June, and it has since uh, sublimated, so it's no longer visible, but there will be a few other um, smaller uh, outlying ice patches that become apparent in the next month or two. We, they occur every time the South Polar Cap shrinks, and we expect to see them. Interesting. So the interesting, there are some interesting things about the Polar Cap. Um, one of the things that... Uh, that we've seen this apparition is that it seems to have a dark spot in the middle. And I, let me say, I, I think that there is a little bit of controversy about what causes this. Mm. Uh, in my view, uh, I think it's related largely to clouds that overlie the polar cap. Some people uh, are expressing that they think it's not clouds, but rather they think it's uh, the polar cap ice itself appears dark at this, at this solar angle and so on. So, um, but the polar cap isn't just a, a clear white patch. If you look very closely at the south polar cap, you may be able to discern that there are some markings in it, some dark spots, uh, sometimes some rifts. Uh, just in the last week, a rift has appeared. This is a normal appearance of the cap at this phase of its regression. Um, there, we had one interesting visual observer who took his telescope out in the daytime to look at Mars. Oh, and yeah? He, he commented that he could see the South Polar Cap more clearly in daylight than he could at night. And 
that suggests to me that since the south polar cap is very bright white in full sunlight, that it's actually bright enough to be seen well in broad daylight in Earth from Earth. And he was actually and the glare effect is bothersome when you're dark adapted at night. Wow. So just seeing that bright polar cap in the daytime enabled him to see the features within the polar cap uh, better. That's, That's interesting. Wow. So, you know, a lot of we get a lot of observation reports like this, a lot of things going on on Mars, you know. Right. Most recently, we've had um, uh, we've had a couple of things around the South Polar Cap. We've had some small dust storms appearing and they present as red or yellowish areas around the edges of the cap. And these presumably are due to winds, cold winds that blow off the cap and raise the dust in the area around the, in the polar area around the cap. And amateur imagers are seeing these things. We have one visual observer who's documented them as well. Um, then in addition, we see polar fronts and um, these are linear cloud features that protrude from the edge of the cap. And they, the Coriolis force causes the winds blowing off the cap to curve and so these linear features become curved when they become extended. And we, we've seen these off the south polar cap this year. They're usually more pronounced off the north polar cap. And I was really kind of excited to see them this, this year coming off mm -hmm. the south polar cap as it regresses. Interesting. A lot of the Mars observations are actually weather observations of what's going on on the planet. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty you know, it, it, the, that's You're absolutely right. A lot of them are weather observations. We look for clouds, and we're expecting more clouds to be showing up. The, the uh, clouds around the mountains of Mars, the huge volcanoes, Olympus Mons, Ascreus Mons, Pavonis Mons, and Arcea Mons, these incredibly huge volcanoes uh, develop their own weather patterns, and they often have clouds around their peaks. And we expect over the next few months to see more and more of these clouds as the atmosphere becomes a little more humid with the evaporation of the cap. So that's just another interesting thing to look for. Interesting. Now, some of the specifics for this year's apparition that's closest approach to the Earth, I believe, is October 6th. Yeah, and that's, that's prior to its opposition. Mm -hmm. You might think it'd be closest right at the time it's opposite the sun. Earth's orbit is fairly round, not perfectly round, but fairly round. But Mars' orbit has a 10% eccentricity, which means that it's, um, it's not round, it's oval. And due to the uh, relationship of that oval to where we are in the opposition cycle, uh, we'll actually be closer to Mars uh, prior to opposition. It actually, it's a closest approach is on October 6th. Mars is at perihelion, uh, just past perihelion. Perihelion that is closest to the sun was mm -hmm. on August 3rd. So in its oval orbit, it's recently been closest to the sun. Earth is catching up with it in that orbit. And because of that uh, nearness to the sun of Mars, it uh, will be closest to it. And it will appear largest in our telescopes shortly before opposition. And how large will it look? About 22.6 arc seconds. Okay. And how does that compare to past apparitions? Well, that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, that's large. Uh, you know, we had it up to around 24 and a half arc seconds or something, 25 arc seconds with the closest approach ever in 2003. Right. And last 
uh, apparition, it was something uh, 23 arc seconds. So okay. 22.6 is almost as good. Okay, great. And this is really a good apparition. And the nice thing about this one is that it's going to be in the northern sky virtually the whole observing season, which great. means we'll be, we'll be able to see it high in the sky, in the evening sky. And so it'll be conveniently placed for observation. Great. And then opposition occurs, we said, October 14th? Yeah. Okay. Great. How bright, how bright is Mars going to be at its brightest? Mars uh, this year is going to be about magnitude minus two point, I think it's minus 2.6. Wow. And that's a little less bright than Jupiter. Jupiter at its brightest uh, at its recent opposition was at minus 2.8. And uh, so Jupiter this year slightly outshines Mars at its best this year. Okay. That was reversed last year. Mars outshone Jupiter. In its best apparitions, Mars will slightly outshine Jupiter. It's going to be a nice time of year because in the evening sky, we'll have Mars and also Jupiter and Saturn That's right. visible too. So that's for you planetary lovers, this is a great time of year. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is. that telescope and stay up late. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, absolutely. And make observations of Mars. Now, when you're looking at Mars visually, um, I, I'm a big advocate of color filters. What, do you, what yep. kind of filters do you recommend for observing Mars? Well, for visual, mm-hmm. um, most people use uh, red, green, and blue filters. The filter that's recommended probably depends to some extent on the aperture of the telescope. Okay. I would say for 8-inch and larger telescopes, I would use uh, a Rattan W25 okay. for red. And for smaller telescopes, a Rattan W23. For 8-inch and larger green, I'd use a Rattan W58. And I've forgotten the designation of a green filter that has uh, more light passage for smaller telescopes. And for uh, for the blue filter, it's almost a violet filter. We recommend Rattan W47. Oh, so that's a very that's dark really filter. Really dark. But that, really shows the, uh, if you have an eight inch or larger telescope, it really shows the, uh, um, the clouds well and uh, obscures the albedo feature. So when you first look at it, you might say, Hey, there's nothing there on Mars, but you'll see the polar cap with it. Yeah. The 47. Yeah. yeah, Clouds will show up very well. And for people with a smaller telescope, I think the 47 is too strong. I, Mm -hmm. I think there's a W44 that we use for telescopes smaller than eight inches. Yeah, the forty-seven is what I use for Venus. I mean, that's it's because it, there's Venus is just so bright and to see the color or to right. see the cloud structures on Venus. It's and, yes. people, and uh, those newer to the hobby of astronomy. When we talk about color filters, these aren't expensive. These are fifteen, twenty dollars per filter yeah. that normally screw right into the back of the eyepiece. Or now they have filter wheels that you can attach, just flip right. them around. But if you want to observe the planets. The one accessory I think you really need, too, is a set of color filters. It makes a big difference on Mars. It really does. Yeah. And to switch back and forth between the filters and so on. Mm -hmm. One thing to know is that uh, if you want to use a set of imaging filters of the type that astroimagers use, those are much more expensive. Right. And they're fine to use for visual use, but they're so expensive that most people would just buy the uh, Rattan filters. Mm -hmm. You can get them from Orion telescopes and binocular center, you know, and they're inexpensive, as you mentioned. Uh, I would guess the difference in cost is somewhere 
uh, like a factor of eight or 10 right. <laughs> for the imaging filters. But uh, if you're imaging, you, you, if you're making red, green, and blue images, you need to be sure that I, infrared is cut out because the infrared, uh, your camera is going to be sensitive to infrared. Now, most color cameras have an, a, uh, uh, they're built with an in- infrared filter so the infrared doesn't pass. But you need to be sure that that's the case with your camera. Um, if, it, if it passes infrared, you need to get an infrared exclusion filter for it. Um, then that's whether you're doing color imaging or uh, mono imaging, mono color with, uh, with a camera. You must exclude infrared. Uh, and then, of course, they have infrared pass filters, so you can image in just infrared, which is fine as well. And infrared penetrates the atmosphere of Mars very well, and you can see the albedo features very strongly with infrared light. So, Okay. All right. Um, for those that want to submit observations, what type of information along with the observations would you like to have? Well, um, the mo- the, there are uh, some crucial things without which the observation has little meaning, okay? We need to know the date and the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> without that, right. um, you know, we don't know what we're looking at. You know? And when you talk date because and time, we, are you, you're talking universal time. Well, yeah, we hope that people can uh, can use universal time. That's the time in London. Spanish <laughs> mean time, the, yeah. Yeah, and the problem is London goes on daylight saving time, so... Mm. Um, it may not always be the time in London, but you need to know what the universal time is um, and correlate that with the uh, local time at your area so that you report to us the universal time of your observation. We like to know what telescope size and what camera you use, whether it's a color camera or a mono camera. And uh, um, you know, um, you can put other things if you like. Uh, I like for people to look up the central meridian of Mars and put it, mm-hmm. put it on the image. And the reason I like them to do that is that um, I can search. I, I put in, in the in my file of Mars observations, which includes many thousands of images and drawings. I file them according to date and time, but I can search. I always put in the file name the central meridian, and so I can search by central meridian. Right. Central meridian being the longitude on, right. of Mars, which is directly facing you when you make your observation. So if, if you're able to look that up, then put it on your image, just write it on the image with the other information. And when I otherwise I have to look it up myself, which is a lot when I'm getting thousands of images. So that's true. Yeah. Mars maps have longitude and latitude, just like earth maps do. And the features on Mars have longitude and latitude designations. So that's why you really want. So if you see something on Mars, you can easily go to a Mars map and say, this is what I'm looking at right here. Yeah. That's right. Now, what about for the uh, visual observers? Do you have observing forms? Yeah, we do. And those are uh, on the, uh, the website, okay. uh, the Alpo website, you want to go to the Mars section and uh, over on the right-hand side under the Mars section, you might have to scroll down a little bit. You'll find a heading for observing forms and you click on that and you can get uh, copies of the observing forms that haven't been filled out plus an example of one that's okay. filled out so you'll know what it all means. And uh, we get those, you know. By the way, we also have a, a, uh, a program with the Astronomical League, 
that we've set up with a Mars Observing Award. Oh. And I'm af- afraid it's a little bit um, grueling. <laughs> it may take. <laughs> we we've set it up so that it, you can uh, you can do it in one apparition. But we like people to document the recession of the of one of the polar caps, and to we like people to see a dust storm. And so, if you're going to okay. do this, you need to observe Mars night after night and and notice the make some judgment about the polar cap size, you know, and and so on, and a few other things. But the way to access that information is on the Astronomical League's website, okay, where they uh, talk about their their uh, awards and. Uh, let me say that if you are able to pursue, we, we had a couple get the award last apparition and we've got several working on it this apparition. If you're able to pursue that and complete it, you will really know something about Mars when you're done. Well, that, that's the thing. Anytime you involve yourself with the systematic observational program, I, I say this in the training program the whole time, where you start and where you end, your your experience level and your eye, your observational yes. uh, uh, uh what you are able to pick out and observe will increase dramatically. So just being That's involved right. with a program like that helps you as the observer. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost compared to sports or music. Mm. You get better with practice. That's right. You know, and as you observe Mars, you'll see more and more over time. You're training your eyes. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's, that's very good. Now, where are the observations of Mars published just in the journal? Um, well, the ones I publish are just in the journal. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so, you know, there are other people who publish things on Mars. I, th- I think, um, you know, there, there are people around the world and uh, mm-hmm. there are political aspects to where you put things. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we try not to talk about those things. Good. <laughs> I just want to be all, all Martian and care about Mars instead of anything else, you know. That's great. Yeah, and the, the Mars section has such a great history too i mean some of the best observers in the alpo came from the mars section don parker you know uh, chick capen people like that they were just the you know uh, the best that's right you know and that's they got that way by being prolific at at observing the planet mars yeah do you have anything else you'd like to add before we finish this off golly i all i can say is uh join us on our groups io website. Uh, we are in groups IO and it's Mars observers. Uh, it's a G R O U P S groups dot IO okay. slash G. Don't ask me what the G is for <laughs> <laughs> slash Mars observers and Mars observers is one word with no hyphens or capitals. Now is that available and, uh, on the ALPO website too? You get the link to it. I, th- I think the link is there. Okay. Yeah. If that's there, then I will grab that and I'll add that to the, show notes as long as the observing forms and things like that yeah. too. We got about a thousand uh, interested people who participate wow. in that. And as I say, uh, we've got uh, close to 40 of them who are uploading uh, images and drawings to it right now. So yeah. great. So how can everybody get in contact with you if they're interested in observing Mars? Well, uh, one is to go to the group's IO, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, they'll heck just leave a little message that says, Hello, I'm new here. And, uh, <laughs> That's great. What do I need to do? Or so, whatever you want to say, you know, we're a friendly group. Okay. And, uh, otherwise, they can send things or write to me directly with any questions they might have. A lot of people do. Uh, my email is 
rjvmd at hughes, that's h-u-g-h-e-s dot net. Okay, and I will add that to the show notes as well, so people don't have to write it down there. They just scroll down at the bottom of this uh, podcast and be able to see it. Yeah. Great. Well, Roger, this has been a real pleasure to have you on. My pleasure, too. And maybe when this apparition's over with, we can have you back on and you can tell us what type of things we saw on Mars. Oh, one more thing before we get on. There, there's right. a lot of pro-am collaboration within the ALPO. Ha, has uh, like the NASA Perseverance pro- program, the new 2020 rover that's on its way to Mars currently, you, uh, do you see the section working with them? Um, I, I think that the the type of observations that we do mostly do not lend themselves well to the type of research uh, that professionals are doing about Mars. Mar- uh, research on Mars now has largely uh, turned to geology mm-hmm. as distinct from astronomy. And uh, you might think of it as astrogeology. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what the rovers are looking for. Uh, they're looking for uh, chemistry on Mars, you know, okay. signs of biochemistry they're looking uh, for geologic features and uh, it's really quite different from the type of thing that we're able to do except that we do monitor dust and clouds which is important caps and albedo features the albedo features are definitely slowly changing Mm -hmm. from apparition to apparition Um, so you know we monitor those things and um, but I, i don't think many professional astronomers um, consider what we do to be very important. Okay. All right. Well, I do. <laughs> All right, Roger, this has been a real pleasure to have you on. All right. My pleasure. We'll All see right. you later, Tim. All right. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Roger Venable of the Mars section for coming on and giving us a very entertaining talk on the planet Mars, this coming operation. Hey, get out there and observe Mars. You will not regret it. We upload a new episode of the, of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can also listen on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and the little box that listens to every word you say in your house, the Amazon Echo. You can help support this podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is down below in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me on email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening and stay healthy, my friends. <laughs>